0: It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace,
1: a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own, Jesse Gestand. Yep, in the house as well. 505 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Glad to be with you. I hope you are well. Hope your uh, weekend went well and you enjoyed a time of cessation and recovery and refreshment and hopefully. You had a chance to worship our true and living God, and here we are at the beginning of another week, are we not? This is the Monday edition of Lifeline, and your host, Jesse Gistan, with you for the next two hours, uh, about an hour and 55 minutes now. The number to reach me is one triple eight. 3675329-1888-3675329 to talk about social issues and spiritual issues and personal issues and all of the stuff that's going on in our world at the present time. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will be glad and rejoice in it. We've not seen this day before. When it's over, we won't see it again. So let's get all we can out of the next two hours. So what have I been up to that uh, might be worthy of your uh, ear and your interest since you have um, chimed in to KFAX 1100 on your AM dial? Um, well, I... I enjoyed this weekend's finals in the Wimbledon uh, tennis match. Let's see here. Um, uh, Djokovic won. He beat Nadal. He beat uh, an African, Mr. Anderson, and it was a great, great, great tennis match. Um, Leading up to the finals on Saturday was really good as well. Serena Williams uh, coming back from her pregnancy and having a baby, she actually made it to the finals only to lose to one Gerber. And – It was good as well. I love tennis. I love sports on a lot of levels. And so that was absolutely refreshing and um, exciting. Did a wedding this weekend on Saturday. It was a nice young couple uh, coming from, from, you know, some really difficult past, settling down and believing God and growing in Christ and and, uh, tying the knot. So I want to give kudos to um, the Wayland family, Um, young people doing it right. Um, What a great, great satisfaction for a local pastor to be able to uh, encourage and guide and help young people move into a more uh, biblical mode of relationship and cross that threshold into the most challenging but also most satisfying relationship you can have. And that is one of uh, uh, holy matrimony where children are safe uh, when husbands and wives love each other and work together for the cause of uh of of God and Christ and as well for the children, what have I been meditating on that might be a a good opening stimulus and monologue for you well um our, our world you know is kind of on a steady course of uh complaining <laughs> politics is a little bit um. Uh, how would i put it kind of narrow right now the the media and their uh, pontifications are largely still aimed at the president not quite sure why either left or right the largely left um is so bent against president uh Trump trying to make amends with uh with Putin and Russia somehow it just seems like the narrative is that America must always have some hostile enemy that we want to blame all of our woes and, and problems on. I trust that you are not falling for that dialectic and uh, given over to a faulty left-right argument. Um, and uh, as believers, we are to prove all thing and all things and hold fast to that which is good. Uh, moving on then from politics. What's going on in the kingdom of God? What's going on in the body of Christ? What's going on in the church? You know, you and I cannot really know what's going on at large with the body of Christ around the world, only because there is so much that cannot and does not get uh, noticed or actually addressed in terms of um, uh, in terms of the media. Even uh, Christian media doesn't fully and accurately. Address all of the events that go on in the world, but I can say that um within our local world um we probably are in a kind of lull uh christian wise that can be um attributed to prosperity our um, our lives are are pretty good here in America. I think you would agree with that, and it makes for a kind of um um, careless, uh, profession and careless, uh, walk. There are no real, um, protests, no real, no up and arms issues that the church might be finding itself engaged in beyond the normal stuff of abortion and, uh, you know, uh, uh religious rights and those kind of things are abated to a small degree. Seems like the, um, The acknowledgement and the almost uh, sure to be confirmed uh, new um, Supreme Court justice for the president will be serving to move in a more conservative uh, position when it comes to um, to political and governmental and, and policy issues in Washington. That could be a good thing. I'm not so sure, but it could be a good thing. However, what 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 might be said to be something of interest for you? And for me, in terms of our lives, what could we what could we engage in that might make us benefit uh, once this program goes off the air? You know what I was thinking about? I was I was thinking about the whole concept of our journey right now. I'm going through the book of uh, Psalms in our Wednesday class. We had a great Wednesday class last week, by the way. If you want to join us on Wednesdays at 11 o'clock from 11 to noon, we're having a great time in our Wednesday Bible study at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. You can join us. We're in Psalms 103, dealing with what I call the total care benefit package of the believer. The psalmist is telling us to not to forget all of God's benefits towards us. So we're looking at seven critical benefits for the people of God, and you might want to know them. So if you're not doing anything for lunch or prior to lunch, 11 o'clock, join me on Wednesday and enjoy a great time of biblical exposition, as well as exhortation around what Christ has done for us to put us in a very, very blessed position Um, as the people of God. On Sunday, we are going through Psalm 23 right now. The Lord is the one who shepherds me is the title of that series. And we are at verse four. And this week I've been working through why it is that David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They do comfort me doing a a level of um, exegetical work there right now to to bring a message on Sunday, and you know what I've been thinking about, and here's where I can kind of prod your thoughts as we prepare to open up the phone lines. By the way, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. All Christian Christians, all believers, all children of God are on a journey. Um, I'm sure you would agree with that. We're headed somewhere, and as such, we are pilgrims. And we are strangers in this world. Um, And we are what are called true Hebrews. Hebrew people are journeying people. They are called by God from somewhere to somewhere. And that's our life. We are passing through, as Paul Peter puts it. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. What that means is our life in Christ, our life in the gospel is a journey. Some days we are on the mountaintop a mountaintop experience. The Bible is full of mountaintop experiences. That's what I'm working through right now. And the mountaintop is where you and I can see things relatively clearly. We have a a fairly long distance view, particularly when the clouds are clear. On the mountaintop, you can see way out in front of you. And that brings a level of comfort to the believer. It allows him or them or they to actually plan with some um, certainty with some sense of long-term confidence, with a uh, with a kind of plan that they are uh, joyful about and uh, uh, and and ready to employ and implement in their life. Because you're on the mountaintop now. Mountaintop experiences are what God wants us to do. He called us up to the mountaintop when He saved us. Um, per se, it's a spiritual mountaintop. It's not a literal one. So believers have their dwelling in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And those geographical mountaintops that we read about in the Bible uh, can be um, understood historically like, um, remember when God had called Abraham to offer up his son Isaac on Mount Moriah, Genesis 22? And on that mountain, even though it had to be a time of worship and sacrifice, what did Abraham discover? That God, El Elohim, or uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, was also what? Jireh. He was Jehovah Jireh. On that mountain, as it says, and in this mountain, God has seen, or God has provided, or God has made sure that I need everything that is um, important in my life. So there are mountaintops where God shows up in his provisions in your life. And that's a great time. It's a place of trial. It's a place of trust. But it's also a place of triumph as well. As Abraham triumphed, we also triumph on the mountaintop. Then you you recall also in Exodus chapter 4 where um, the narrator Moses called uh, Mount Nebo the mountain of God where God had called Moses to go back to Israel and deliver Israel out of Egypt and there he met Aaron in Exodus 4:27 and 3:1 where him and Aaron would be the two witnesses going into Egypt delivering the people of God well the mount of God is where God revealed himself as Yahweh to Moses and Aaron and what a great place to be for God to reveal himself to us And then again, in Deuteronomy 27, you know that once the law was given, there was Mount Gerizim and then Mount Ebo, where one was a mountain of what? Blessing and another a mountain of cursing. So on the mountaintop, not only do we see God's provision, not only does God make his glory manifest to us, on the mountaintop, we get both both sides of God's holy law, the blessings that come with obedience and the cursing that comes with disobedience. It's also called Mount Pisgah, the Mount of Viewing or Seeing. Remember when Moses was about to, uh, to die because he couldn't go over into the promised land, he went up to Mount, P- Mount Pis- Pisgah. And on Mount Pisgah, he was able to look over into the promised land. As the Hebrew writer put it in Hebrews eleven, he saw the promise afar of off, even though he could not enter into it. Well, that is kind of a picture of where we are because for us, the promise is eternity with God and glory, and another kind of mountain and that is Mount Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the city of our God, the city of the great king, and and by way of Mount Zion, where the kingdom Of God is is situated the rule of Christ as you know in uh, Psalm 46 and Isaiah chapter 2 makes it very plain I want to touch on that Um, let us go up to the house of of God let us go up to Mount Zion that we might hear the word of the Lord for the law will come forth from the Lord and the word from his mouth he calls the church the gathering of the people of God a mountaintop experience now let me ask ask you the question Is that really the case? Is Mount Zion or the place where you worship, the place where you gather, the place where you assemble as the body of believers in the flock of God, is it a mountaintop experience? Do you move from the lower lands of our secular obligations to the high land of our sacred commitment and covenant engagement with God where you're on the mountaintop beholding the beauty of the Lord, the glory of God, and the mysteries of the kingdom of God as is represented in the temple? Hearing God's voice and worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth with the people of God, is that the experience you have on Mount Zion, the city of the great king. Is that what you know? Do you know it? Um, And other mountains as well. In fact, it was that mountain that even, remember, the enemy came after our master right after his baptism and took him up to a high mountain and took him up to the pinnacle of the temple. So Christ was even there in a trial and temptation for his sonship. And then again, we remember Matthew 17 or Luke chapter 9, where we know that special place where uh, James, John, and Peter was with Christ on the Mount of what? Transfiguration. That Mount of Transfiguration is where God's glory was manifested in Christ, and Christ's deity leaked out in a fabulous way to the disciples. And why did Christ do that? Why did the Father reveal Himself in Christ to the apostles like that, in order to shore up their uh, apostleship? They, God knew that they would be tried to take this message of the gospel into all the world, particularly to Jerusalem, to um, Judea. The uh, message that Christ is Lord of all um, would require them knowing for sure, as Peter put it in Second Peter chapter one, "We have not come to you." with cunningly devised fables, but certainly um, God spoke to us about Christ in the mount. And we have a more sure word of prophecy, by which you do well to take heed as of a light shining out of darkness. Well, for 2,000 years, the uh, citadel of God's glory in Christ has been operating through the mouth of the apostles to the point where we have the church of Christ all around the world. Now, what I've been sharing with you here are mountaintop experiences. But when I come back from the break, you know you got to come off the mountain. And when you come off the mountain, guess where we end up? In valleys. And here's what I'm going to be asking you. See if you want to engage me on this. There are many valleys in the Bible, and I'm going to share with you about seven or eight of them. Valleys in the Bible. Like David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to talk about that one a bit too today. But where are you at? If you are in a valley, what kind of valley are you in? Or if you're on a mountaintop, what kind of mountaintop are you on? Engage me in that. Let me know. Assess yourself during this break and ask yourself, where am I? Am I on a mountaintop? Or am I in the valley? So stay tuned. one 367 5329 Stay tuned. Let's continue to work this through on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. All right, we are back. The time five twenty five on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I've been reflecting upon uh, the journey of the people of God, and we can view this collectively as a you know body of believers, both Old Testament and New Testament. The Jewish people had their ups and downs, as you know. <laughs> And largely what we have in terms of narrative uh, texts, codified texts, is Old Testament history of Israel's journey from um, Egypt to, to the Promised Land and then back into captivity to Babylon um, and, then, and then back to Palestine. If one were to look at the geographical location that encompassed all of that activity, which um, basically uh, included almost 1,500 years of history— what you would discover is that there were all sorts of mountains and valleys that Israel had to engage in. Now, before the break, I shared with you some five or six mountaintops that the people of God um, engaged in and met God there. And and God blessed them there. I talked about uh, Mount Moriah for... Um, Abraham, the Mount of God—that is for Moses and Aaron in uh, in uh, Mount Horeb, Mount Gerizim and Ebo near Mount Sinai, where the law was given and and codified with blessings and cursings—and then Mount Zion, where uh, where the church really is in Jerusalem, um, near Jerusalem, uh, where um, where David's city, the city of the great king, is—and how Zion is a greater. Type of the ultimate kingdom of God, according to Hebrews chapter 12, and ultimately New Jerusalem coming down, it's seated on a mountaintop scenario. And then we looked at the Mount of Transfiguration, did we not? Which I believe is probably the Mount of Olives, which is the place where Christ went the night that he would be crucified. Remember, he went to the Mount of Olives with his disciples to pray. Peter and James and John, and then they de- descended down that mount. and And where did they go from there? They went across the Brook Kidron. Well, what's in the Brook Kidron but a valley? The Kidron Valley is a valley as well. Now, I want to share with you five, six, seven, eight valleys. There are quite a few in the Bible, and I want to kind of give some definitions to them. These are not hard fast definitions, but what they will do is kind of shape and frame. A, an experience, a space that you and I are often in. What are valleys in the Bible? If mountaintops are places where we um, have an opportunity for communion and fellowship with God on a very, very exclusive and intimate level where we are given clarity and perspective and long distance vision and we are given promises and God shows up in ways on the mountaintop that he doesn't elsewhere. And mountaintop experiences are what we should have when we gather together with the people of God. As I stated before the break, Isaiah 2 makes it clear. Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to Mount Zion, the city of God. Let us hear his law and his word proceeding from his mouth. Let us worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness there. That should be a mountaintop experience every time we gather together. Because when we leave, we have to go out into the world. And ladies and gentlemen, The world is a valley. Now here are some valleys in the Bible that I think are critical to note. So we can build our theology and then you and I can talk about it. Cause I go through valleys. Don't you? I enter into valleys. Here's the first valley that I want to call your attention to. It's a valley that we find ourselves in when we make wrong decisions. This is called the Valley of Sedim, Sedim, Sedim. This is where in Genesis 14, Lot had gotten into trouble, remember, hanging out where? Sodom and Gomorrah. And all of a sudden he looks up and there's war everywhere between the, the Mesopotamian kings. And he's in the middle of it. And he's trapped. And he's a slave in the slime pits of Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that a valley that you are in? Some call it the valley of sin. I call it the valley of the world filled with conflict and warfare. Are you trapped by the political hang- harangues of our world, the arguments over social issues and, and, and practical issues and moral issues that have no biblical basis behind their, their, their hostilities? But are you trapped there in the Valley of Sodom like Lot was? He chose the green plush uh, fields of Sodom and Gomorrah. Next thing you know, he's wrapped up in a bunch of sinful behavior. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a valley. The Valley of Saddam, the Valley of War and Conflict. Are you trapped by that? Here's another one, the Valley of Eskol. Y'all know Eskol. That's where God had brought Israel only after a couple of months, right up to the brink of Canaan and, and sent spies over into Canaan. To uh, spy out the land and they found in Canaan exactly to be what God had said, massive grapes and massive vineyards and wonderful plush land. But they also found their what? Giant. And the land was hilly. In other words, the promises of God was in a country that had hills and what? Valleys, mountains and valleys, mountains and valleys, mountains and valleys. And, and this particular valley, the valley of a skull, was the valley of indecisiveness and unbelief. Remember, out of the 12 spies, only two came back with a good report. The other 10 said, we can't do it. The giants are massive. We are grasshoppers in their eyes. And even though God has kept us this far, we are sure God can't help us overcome these giants. We are grasshoppers in their eyes. This is called the valley of indecisiveness and unbelief. Now, what is a valley? What is a valley? A valley is a a precipice. A valley is a a a descent. A valley is this 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 kind of area where you get pressed in and become tunnel visioned and narrow in your focus. And it's a dark place. It's a it's a growing dark place where you are um, hedged in. And sometimes the road is extremely harrowing because it's cliffy in nature. It's dark. It's narrow. It's hedged in. It's a precipice. As you're, you're going down. That means you can easily fall. When you and I are in valleys, we have tunnel vision. When we're in valleys, we are short-sighted. When we're in valleys, we're dealing with depression. When we're in valleys, we're dealing with darkness. When we're in valleys, we're dealing with fear. We're dealing with doubts. We're dealing with anxieties. When we're in valleys, we are dealing with... um. Things we know lurking near that have predatorial, uh, predatorial potential against us, especially because of how harmless we are. That's the valley, the valley that we are in. Remember the valley of, uh, of Acor. That valley was where Achan had taken up the goods of the Babylonians, 200 shekels of silver and uh, a a goodly Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of gold and a goodly Babylonian garment. And there is where he ended up being judged, him and his whole family, because he had stopped thinking like the Lord wanted him to think. That was an accursed thing. Doesn't matter how glorious it looks, you got to leave it alone. In other words, here's what happens in the valley of Acre. In the Valley of Acre, if you're not careful, you will become an idolater. And this is the same valley that Hosea said in Hosea 2 or 3, that God will allure Israel in the Valley of Acre with loving kindness. Well, what was Israel doing at that time? Committing spiritual adultery. You know the book of Hosea, marry a harlot, because Israel was a harlot. And some of us are in valleys because we are committing spiritual idolatry and spiritual whoredoms. We are in love with this world, and we are operating out of a tunnel vision commitment to a system that is taking us away from God. And there you, kind of, you lose a sense of fidelity to God. If you read Hosea 2 and 3, you discover that she didn't thank God at all for all of the provisions that he actually had provided for her. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So we have the Valley of Sedim. We have the Valley of Skull, We have the Valley of Acre. The valley of war and conflict, the valley of indecisiveness and unbelief, the valley of idolatry and adultery. I mean, there are many other valleys as well. We'll talk about them after the break because I want to lay a foundation. Find out where you are. Are you on the mountaintop or are you in the valley? Now, we all go through one or the other. But I want to hear from you on it and see if maybe we can do some some edification, some building up of each other, some some deliverance ministry going on here on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. All right, we are back. I am challenging you and kind of probing your thoughts on a Monday edition of Lifeline. Not really engage in any kind of social issues, although there's a lot of issues going on out there in our world. I hope that you are um, engaging me in this thought right now. We are either on the mountaintop or in the valley or making our way from the valley back to the mountaintop and somewhere in between on a spiritual, emotional, psychological level. Would you agree with that? We all go up and we all go down. We all have our, our, our times of um, great sense of confidence and clarity and perspective and optimism and and purpose and goals, and then we also have very, 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 very um, difficult times of narrow-mindedness and uh, tunnel vision and nearsightedness and fears and phobias. And I laid out for you before the break several valleys that we have to deal with: the valley of Saddam, the valley of conflict and war, the valley of a skull of uh, indecisiveness and unbelief, the valley of um, of. Of, of Elah, uh, Elah. That's really um, uh, a valley that we have to really worry about. Elah is where David. Um, found himself uh, having an opportunity to challenge Goliath. Remember that when Goliath stood in the valley and challenged all of Israel. This is what I call the the take it all, all for nothing battle. This is the battle that hopefully we never have to go through in this life on a practical level. We don't in Christ because Christ stood in that valley for you and I. If you're a believer in Christ, this was a um, winner take all battle. Remember what Goliath said? If you whip me, you can have all of us. I whipped you, I get to have all of you. And Christ whipped them, that is our enemy, our adversary, the devil's sin, um, the wrath of God, so that he he made a, a a show of all of them openly triumphing over the wicked and the ungodly and the the ordinances that was against us and liberated you and I in that valley. But sometimes we come uh, uh, into situations in our life where it's like um, a winner-take-all scenario. I don't know what that valley would be for you. It might be the loss of a job, the loss of a family, the loss of a relationship, the loss of um, a home, the loss of something majorly big in your life, and you're facing that valley. And how would you deal with it? Another valley that we um, know commonly in the Bible as well is the Valley of Baca. I'm just reading this in Psalm eighty. Verse six, where it speaks to the believer headed to Jerusalem, headed to worship. But interestingly enough, they've got to often go through the Valley of Baca. Verse five says, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee and whose heart are the ways of them who passing through the Valley of Baca, make it a well The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Now, that, that hymn, that psalm tells us that sometimes on our way to church, sometimes on our way to worship, we have to go through a valley and we have to learn how to, and that word really means a valley of weeping, a valley of weeping. In some mornings before worship, there is weeping. Is there not, and we are weeping over difficult times in our life, weeping over um, uh, uh, strange relationships, weeping over our own um, smarting because we have not uh, followed the Lord as we are to weeping over bad news about our family members or our children, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. A lot of valleys are we not dealing with um, the valley. Of Baca is where we are. Here's another valley that we have to deal with, the Valley of Gehenna, our Hinnon. Um, It's the valley that was on the outside of the city of Jerusalem where all of the trash was heaped. It's essentially the area in which Christ was crucified near to it in Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? The whole world represented in the Jews and the Gentile um, Roman Empire, Roman rulers um, view Christ as rubbish, as refuge to be thrown out in the heap with all the other malefactors. And yet he was the most precious thing in the world, the Valley of Hinnom. But the Valley of Hinnom reminds me of where I am in Psalm 23 when David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The Valley of the Shadow of Death. Now, we'll unpack that a little bit more on Sunday, but we can talk about that a tad because the Valley of Kidron, which our Lord crossed over the book, Brook Kidron to get to Jerusalem, is where there were graves everywhere. A graves of the prophets, graves of the rulers, graves of the apostates, graves of the priests, because Josiah, remember, in his reform, fulfilling the prophecy of a prophet who said that the graves of the priests would be uh, mounted up in this area of Kidron. Uh, Jehoshaphat, is it called, the Valley of Jehoshaphat as well. Um, when you and I are passing through areas and spaces in our life where we are um, dealing with a lot of death, loved ones, relatives, friends, um, especially as you get older, Especially as you get older, you can find yourself becoming depressed. Is that true? Some of you older people will know what I'm talking about. You look up and you realize, my, um, all I have is memories of individuals who no longer are with us. They're not here. They're dead. They're gone. They've left us. And, And in some cases, some believers are almost all by themselves. That's the Valley of Kidron. That's the Valley of the Graves. And when David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I think he's taking in a little bit of it all. He's being honest, first of all, because you have these believers, these Christians who would like to think and say that they never go through valleys. What a delusion. If some of God's choice servants went through them, why wouldn't we go through them? Why wouldn't we have ourselves um, finding times where we are in the valley? The valley of the shadow of death would be the valley where, again, we are uh, so tunnel vision and um, without the illuminating light of the word of God that gives us a kind of confidence that uh, we know where we're going. Remember Proverbs four eighteen: a principle, the path of the just is as a shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. Now, those of you pastors out there listening to me, I know there are quite a few of you take into account if you haven't already done this study and think about the members of your church. Out of the seven or eight valleys that we've talked about, a good portion of them have either entered into that and are there now, are making their way out of it, um, are um headed towards these valleys. And our ministry has to be a ministry that is able to address valley mentalities, valley scenarios, valley troubles, valley, valley, valley. So what valley would you be in right now? Or what mountaintop would you be upon? Can you assess where you are right now and and talk to me about it? Right now, I'm kind of in between personally. I love the mountaintop of transformation of transfiguration where Christ is revealed to me in his glory and splendor. This dominates most of my preaching and teaching, as you would know. Um, I love to proclaim the person and work of Christ and his offices as revealed to me, the God-man in his incarnation, his uh, ascension to glory and session at the right hand of God to rule over us. It's called the gospel of the resurrection of Christ. I love to proclaim those splendors and glories of Christ. But in my own personal walk, like it was for Peter, James and John, they had to come off that mountain. And as soon as they did, what did they do? They entered into failure. So, yeah, there are some areas in which in my own life I am um, struggling and wondering Where God is taking me? What am I uh, going through? What is this about? Y'all know what I'm talking about? It can be very, um, how would I describe it if I were to use any of these valleys before I take another break? And then I'll I'll, I'll go to the phone lines before our time is up. I would say that maybe um, I'm dealing with um, like maybe the valley of the shadow of death as well with David. An undefinable context in which. Um, decision. Uh, um, no, let me go back. I'll, I'll say I'm dealing with the, the valley of a skull, where um, there are opportunities for me to make some decisions, to do some things that can um, affirm and advance some of God's promises in my life, uh, particularly where I am in my age and, and what I'm about to engage in for the next, let's say, 10 or 15 years. If I get these decisions right, I'll be able to make choices that will lead me upward if I get these decisions wrong. I could find myself in formidable battles that could be very difficult. Um, that's where I am now. So I have to be very careful as to whether or not I'm going to receive an evil report or a good report. If y'all know what I'm talking about. Where are you at? Let's talk about it. one i will be right back. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. All right, we are back. The time, 5.51 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open, one 3,67,5,3,29. We are talking about mountaintop experiences or valley experiences. I share it with you that I do have a sense of a perpetual mountaintop experience. That is the one of the Mount of Transfiguration where Christ is revealed to me and much more of a glorious manifestation of his characteristics and attributes as our savior And it dominates a lot of the way I teach and preach. As you know, if you listen to our program, Christ is really at the center of our exposition and our exhortation. But I also know experientially that we go into valleys, and I am dealing right now with a kind of valley of a skull, a valley of of dealing with uh, making decisions that could um, promote or demote, if I'm not careful to work through making sure I don't hear the wrong voices, they can be challenging. I know something of the kind of nearsightedness and depression that can come when you are not um, as clearly um, confident about your, your your present situation. So I'm asking you: Are you on the mountaintop? If you are, which one? And if you're in the valley, which one? Let me go to line number one and talk with Deborah in Oakland. Deborah, where are you?
2: Uh, the valley of the skull
1: the valley of a skull how come
2: well because jesse i still have a a struggle um i'm you know a christian but i still uh, struggle because i don't go to church because Mm -hmm. i can't Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that makes me more susceptible to depression agreed and um and that makes me feel like i'm not quite what other christians are wow and and I know that's a lie, but I still believe
1: it sometimes. I, I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I appreciate you actually being able to identify. That means you were listening to me for this last 35, 40 minutes. And I think God is in this discussion that we're having. Uh, you were able to identify that place kind of where I am in in a, in a lot of ways. And And so here's what I would say without taking away from you, what I think you should be experiencing in some form or another, and that is an ascent to Zion with the people of God, making the pilgrimage to the house of God. Because there you do get to have the edification of the appearance of Christ in the gospel and the worship of Christ and and the Father and the Holy Spirit in the community uh, collectively of the body of Christ. And when you don't have that, You ought to have a sense of of depletion and and deficiency, as you are stating. I worry about believers who don't recognize the danger, utter danger of of not worshiping. So you have identified very clearly a space that you are in. How do you... Um, how do you deal with a skull? How do you deal with the promise of God's blessings to you, tokens of them in the big grapes, and yet you know that there are giants that want to demolish your inheritance and your right? How do How do you deal with it now? How do you deal with it?
2: I depend on people like yourself and other Christians to uh, remind me that I am a part of the body of Christ, yeah. and that even though I can't go to... Uh, Church services anymore which I dearly miss.
1: Yeah.
2: Um because if I was surrounded by believers it would be easier. I agree. And it's harder now. And, I agree. You know, I don't let the enemy win but I just feel, you know But um, well, we get tired, don't we? Yeah, I get tired and I think um, you know that sometimes when people don't understand, instead of supporting me they attack me and challenge my relationship with God or whether I'm really born again or whether I'm really, um, you know, solid in the Lord as much as I think I am. And I have, um, you know, a sense of false pride and all this. And so that, so I get attacked more.
1: Right. I, 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 I'm, I'm almost sure that that's the case. And I'm actually glad that you are able to actually <laughs> articulate it in ways that people don't. What, what I come to discover, and I think you would agree with this, um, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I've got two lines open. One, 888-367-5329. We're going to talk about this over the next two hours or hour and a half. Now, hour and five minutes. I'm going to talk about this for the rest of the hour because I actually want to have a, a vital conversation around our walk with God and not something dumb or stupid. I know that we all go through these kinds of trials. And Deb has put her finger on a very crucial one. She is shut in and she cannot get out. And so she cannot enjoy the fellowship of the saints. And this is why I tell us to count our blessings, particularly if you are a local body of believers and you actually have a really good fellowship, not perfect, nothing's perfect, but a good fellowship where people get along and love each other and the Lord's evident tokens are present among you, that you are to thank God for that because you could be in exile and Deb is in a kind of exile. And I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering, um, if God is moving somebody even now to want to be part of, um, encouraging sister Deborah and, uh, Ministering to her, um, even if you are shut in somewhere else, we can talk on the phone. I mean, I don't know how much you talk on the phone, Deb, but um, I, that's also like a next best thing. If you got really good people who are mature spiritually, who are not going to misinterpret your weakness and do like Job's three friends, because they were intimidated by his problem. They couldn't figure it out, and they fell to the pharisaical mode of trying to um, indict him for something that God had not. Even shown Job, let alone them, and they end up needing Job to pray for them. So, when we are going through real struggle, weak believers, our superficial believers, our ungrounded believers will move towards an adversarial and accusatory position and come at you. That can happen. That, that there is the vulnerability of having people actually in your life, and that's why you know. Quite a few believers don't even want to be in communion with believers, though that's wrong. What can people do there before I let you go to support you? um, uh, Like we do in prayer, like some of us do in prayer. I know you accept that because we all need somebody to pray for us, but what can they do to, um, to, to be a blessing to you?
2: I'm saying that not everybody in my former church, um, Oh, are doing that.
1: No, I know that. I know. I know that. I'm not saying that I'm, We know that. But I'm saying, what can people do who are listening and are identifying with you? They may be shut in too. What can they do? Deborah, what's your last name?
2: Winterfeld. Winterfeld? Yes, F E L D.
1: Right, Winterfeld. You guys, there it is. Because there are lots of Deborahs. In fact, I got to answer a Deborah here after I drop you off. Um, Deborah Winterfeld is someone you want to remember. Her story and her challenge, and she's in the valley of a skull right now, and she could use a uh, prayer for encouragement. And are you, um, are you, are you, do you have enough of a community around you right now that you don't be needing the other people to kind of tap into you?
2: Well, no, I need more, more help. Okay, right. So because you, my church is the former church that I went to is in Pinole. right? So I need more local, you know,
1: encouragement.
2: Um, yeah. for— uh, uh, from other churches that are closer to me than Penelope. Now h-
1: here's what I want you to do. Just just really slow uh give out your number. And we're gonna pray that good people call.
2: Area code or just my number?
1: Oh area code, definitely. Five one
2: oh is the area code. Mm-hmm. Eight nine one zero four eight
1: nine. Eight nine one zero four what? Eight 9 eight nine y'all got that yes, so now we're gonna uh we're gonna be praying that a good couple of sisters, maybe a, a a husband and wife too, and a few brothers that are close by where Deb lives, which is by the lake, which is a really nice area, um would be willing to um to minister to a sister who is in the valley of a skull right now who was brave enough to call. Now, I know y'all listening. I got thousands of, you know, there are so many people that listen to to me, Deb, on this Monday program. I hardly can go anywhere. This is true in, in the local Bay Area. I, I mean, even Northern California, my wife will tell you, I have to disguise my voice because as soon as they hear my voice, they go, oh, Pastor Jesse, I listen to you all the time. Um And that takes away a kind of anonymity, you know, because sometimes I I want some privacy as well. So I'll have to learn how to, um, um, you know, change my voice around a bit so that I'm not so obvious. But that number is out there. We're going to pray that God will give you maybe one or two more good friends because all you need are a couple of friends. You know that, right? A couple of good friends. Thank you for the call, my dear sister. Let me go to line number three before I go to break, um, Jarrell, and let's talk to Deborah in Santa Rosa. Deborah, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you? Uh well, I'm uh, disheartened. Okay, so where are you at? You're not on the mountaintop.
3: I am on the valley. Which one? Deep. Deep Valley. Yeah, very much so.
1: Okay, so would you say you're in the Valley of Baca? Because the Valley of Baca is the Valley of Weeping, Psalm eighty four six. Yes. Okay, so talk to me.
3: I'm very sorry.
1: No, I, don't um, be sorry. Don't be. Don't that's know. what this program is about. Okay.
3: Yeah, I hate to be an emotional woman, but I'll tell you,
1: I ain't never met a woman that wasn't emotional. I know. Except, well, because, except, you know, except, in is- except in the book. Except in the book
3: of Deborah. Deborah was a warrior, and she was a bumblebee, and she fought for the word of God.
1: I agree, but that doesn't mean she wasn't emotional.
3: I know. I really don't like that part of women. I think men find it to be quite offensive, and mm-hmm. it really makes them aggravated. <sighs> so it's very difficult to be a woman in, in a, a relationship with a woman.
1: I agree. Okay, I agree. So tell me what you are struggling with.
3: I'm struggling with. I had an incident happen with the neighbors across the street in 2012. Ooh. And the guy was, uh, he challenged me, we got into an argument, and him and his girlfriend came over, and we got into a physical fight. When they confronted me, I reacted, and it turned into some ugly. Did it? And, uh-huh, and then um, I, um, my son grabbed me to drag me to the house, because I'm sure he was embarrassed, which is 2012, but, you know, I... When you're a single woman and you're raising your child as a woman of God, and you're not bringing men in and out, right? And for the like last 15 years, right. I did this, but right. you know, I reacted. They grabbed me, I reacted. The police came. They asked, "Do you want to press charges?" The people across the street did. Yeah. And so I was already engaged in this physical altercation, and to this day, it has affected me. And I've been in home care. Yeah. And I feel punished by God. I feel like He's not there for me now, and it's affecting me to get my home care license, and I just feel like mm. as women fighting for to yeah. raise a son on yeah. your own, yeah. not involved with men coming in and out, and I just feel so And I've heard you night after night, and I'm just like, oh, God, should I call? Yeah. I mean, I can't even believe I'm being heard. Yeah,
1: you are. And,
3: You're- you know, the power of God, I've weakened, yeah. and I feel powerless. Got it. And I know as people and believers, we need the power of God and I do not know where it is.
1: Okay. it's good. It's good. Depth. I don't know
3: <laughs> if you ask and you read and I'm a feast keeper mm-hmm. and I believe in God's word and the Holy days and Sabbath, but you know, I don't bring that to anyone else.
1: Right. I Be, well, yeah, we you, all yeah. hear what we hear. That's right. Here's what and I'm so, going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Cause I got to take a hard break. Um, so, we're going to pray because one of the things I have as a benefit of the Monday program is like lots of people who pray with me. Um, that's how I'm kept. And so, we're going to be praying for both Deborah's, Deborah Winterfield, and Deborah, what's your last name? Deborah Daniel. Deborah Daniel, so it's not hard. Um, for Deborah to come out of the Valley of Baca um, and not buy into. Um, assertions and allegations of your being disqualified to open up a a care home. You can, you can. Um, We're going to pray that God would intervene and move in a direction of doing two things for you. One of two things. We're going to pray that he gives you clarity on his purpose in your life. If it's corresponding with your desire, because if it's not, we want God to change your desire. Change your desire. He has a purpose for you, but we want him to change your desire. If what you are desiring is God's will, What we want God to do is begin to work and move in a direction to give you patience and perseverance and then tokens of his approval for you in that pathway, because it's a good vocation you're asking to be engaged in. We all need helpers. We all need caretakers. We need people who have enough love and care for us and gifting. And I'm praying that you're gifted in this to be able to want to help people to do this kind of work. Um, And and you have to know sowing good seed brings good fruit, but it doesn't mean that you don't have adversaries in the process. The other thing I want to say before I let you go, Deb, is that when we make mistakes— The only thing we have to do is before God acknowledge them and know that on the grounds of what Christ has done for us on the cross, his righteousness imputed and imparted, there is forgiveness with God. He does not hold us to behaviors in the past when once we have come to him in confession, acknowledgement of our foolishness, he is able to so wipe them out and give us a clean slate that you and I can know it in our conscience and heart and we can begin to move forward in the hope of um, a promise that we believe God has given us so that we can move out in the, the joy of, of serving God, which is what you want to do. This is what we're going to be praying about. And I want you to check in with me in one month, Deborah, check in with me in one month and let's see if we can move from the Valley of Baca back to Jerusalem where there's joy and fellowship and hope and, uh, and, and promise in Jesus. Jesus Christ, thank you for the call. Got to take a hard break. James, you hold on. Aaron, you hold on. Two lines open. one 367 5329 one You are either on the mountaintop or you are in the valley. Which one is it? I'll be right back.